0: Thanks for being here this morning. It's it's great to be with you. I'm Bill. I get to read this wonderful passage that uh, Stan has chosen to preach from. It's First Peter, chapter one, verses thirteen to twenty-one. Listen, as if this is God speaking, because it is. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded. with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God's word. Thank you very much, Bill. Well, you all having fun this
1: morning? Part two? Very good. I am as well. Uh, We are in November. These four weeks, uh, as we prepare to make a bigger invite to our community, we're going through 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter is a letter in the New Testament written by one of Jesus' greatest disciples, Simon Peter, of course. And it's written to what he calls elect exiles. We looked at that last week. Uh, These are Christians who've been scattered to new places. Uh, They're living actually in what is now modern day Turkey in the Northern part. And back then that would have been like on the outskirts of nowhere. It would not be the place anyone would choose to live. It would not be the place anyone would choose to go on vacation. But these Christians, many of them in fact, found themselves living there. And Peter is writing to say, there is a way to be a Christian. There is a way to live as a follower of Christ that God desperately wants you to live like in that place. And here's what it looks like. And we're going through it because one of the things that Peter focuses on is this idea of hope. It's the hope that we have in Jesus that equips us to go out into the world and be the kind of people God wants us to be, which will then in turn draw more people in to get that hope as well. And of course our church name is Greater Hope and we want to live up to our name. And so we're really asking the question over these four weeks, what kind of church does God want us to be? What kind of individuals, what kind of families, what kind of community and body does God want us to be in the Mulberry area in this city? God loves the Mulberry area. God has a tremendous plan to show his gospel, his hope to this Mulberry area, but we have to, we have to listen to what God is saying in his word if we're going to be the kind of people he wants. So this morning, we're going to see a little bit a further end of what we looked at last week. Last week we saw that hope is a miracle. You can't, you can't sort of, you know, manufacture it yourself from the inside. God has to give it through to you by making you born again to a living hope, right? Remember that? Today we're going to see that in order for us to live as people of hope, we have to remember the gospel every single day. Now there's a big misconception that the gospel is either A, a style of music. A lot of people think that, you know, the gospel is just a style of music. Uh, Or B, that gospel is just the ABCs of Christianity. It's what I need to know in order to get in. And then after I become a Christian, I can kind of move on past the gospel to some deeper things. But what we want to say at Greater Hope is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not the ABC. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. We need every day to be rooted deeply in the gospel message. And right there, there's a challenge for us. I want you to think about it. Everybody loves to hear a good rescue story, don't don't we? Um, When I look back at the the latest movies that I've gone to the theater to see, both of them were rescue movies. Didn't realize it at the time, but I went to see Dunkirk. Anybody else saw that? Very serious rescue movie, a true story about World War II. And then I also went to go see Spider Man: Homecoming. (laughs) You know, not so serious, not so real, not so true, but also a rescue story. Now think about it, when we watch rescue stories, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always wanting to put myself in the story somewhere as I'm watching a movie or reading a book. You know, what would it be like for me to go through this? Who do you put yourself in the place of when you watch a rescue story? Do you put yourself in the place of the rescuer or do you ever put yourself in the place of the rescued? (laughs) And if you're like me, you never think about yourself as the rescued. I mean, everybody wants to be Spider-Man, right? Nobody wants to be the man or woman dangling from the Brooklyn Bridge that Spider-Man has to swoop down and save. Am I right? And so right there, there's a problem because the gospel is the greatest of all rescue stories. In fact, it is the story of the whole world how God is on a rescue mission to gather his children to belong to him, even though they were far away, but very clearly you and I are not the heroes of the story. Very clearly, we are not the rescuers, we are the rescued. And so that's why we have to be intentional as a people about every day, every week, all the time in our life, remembering the gospel and getting deeply rooted into this, I am rescued by Jesus. And so Peter says to us this morning, three things, three things about how the gospel prepares us. First, he tells us the kind of life that that God wants us to be prepared for. And we'll see a little bit in there about what kind of church we wanna be. Second, we're going to see why naturally we're so unprepared for that kind of life. Naturally, we're just not ready for it. But third, we're going to see how the gospel alone, only the good news of Jesus, can prepare us every day to be the kind of people God wants us to be. Okay, that's where we're going this morning. First, let's look at the kind of life that God wants us always to be prepared for. I want you to notice first in verse verse 13 especially that Peter uses this language of high alert, He wants us to be on high alert. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. You see, preparing your minds for action. If you have a Bible with you, you might see there's a footnote there, and it's a very weird phrase that's being translated there. It literally is, gird up the loins of your mind. (laughs) And you might think, what in the world does that mean, gird up the loins of your mind? It goes back to biblical times, back when men and women used to wear robes, long robes, like all, almost all the way down to the ground. And so if a man or a woman wanted to run, for example, without tripping, or wanted to do any kind of physical labor without tripping and falling all over their robe, they would take the bottom part and pull it up between their legs and tuck it into their belt to, to kind of translate the robe into shorts. That's pretty cool, right? You know, it's like you've seen the, 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 the pants that have zippers and it turns into shorts. This is a robe that converts into shorts. Very amazing. That was called girding up the girding up your loins, getting ready for action. And Peter says, you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. There's something about our minds that's just naturally not prepared for the kind of life God has for us to live. And it takes intentional effort. It takes a a step-by-step process in order for us to get our minds and hearts ready for the kind of life God wants us to live. He says also, you got to be sober minded. You can't be drunk. You're not just drunk on alcohol. You can't be drunk on anything that might come into your mind and, and make you not see life God's way. Not see life clearly according to the way God wants us to live. And then notice what he says. And, you know, in order to prepare your minds for action, in order to be sober-minded, you have to set your hope fully on the grace of God. And there it is right there. In order to be prepared, we have to have a daily gospel reminder. We have to remember that our hope is in God and what God has done through Christ and only in that. You see, in all of this, Peter really is reminding us. I mean, that that phrase, gird up your loins and and be sober-minded and set your hope fully, it reminds us of an Old Testament story, the story of the exodus out of Egypt. Because when God, if you know that story, when God delivered his nation, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt... He gave them a meal to celebrate it called the Passover meal. And it was the meal about how God had rescued them through the blood of the lamb. And then after that, he was leading them to the promised land through the wilderness. And one of the things he says, when you eat that meal, that Passover meal, I want you to eat it with your robe girded up, your loins girded up, with with your shoes on your feet and with your staff in your hand. In other words, God is saying this. When I save a person, it's not just so that you can relax. When I save a person, it's not just so that you can celebrate my salvation, although that's true. When I save a person, it's so that by your celebration of my salvation, you might be ready and to go forth for a whole new assignment I have for you. God has a new assignment for us. When he, when he takes you by his grace, he has a new life for you to live. And right there, I think there's a conflict with the way a lot of us think about Christianity. I know I slip into this where I think, you know, God has saved me, I'm going to heaven and now it's just coasting on the way. It's as if I've imagined my life like a a cruise to Cancun, rather than a trip in a boat across the English Channel to the beaches of Normandy where I'm not gonna have to fight a battle, right? In both cases, I mean, I'm on a boat. There's a lot of similarities, but there's a very different mindset that it takes in either direction. If I think I'm on a trip to Cancun in my life, am I gonna have my mind girded up Am I going to be sober-minded? No, often people go to Cancun just so they aren't sober-minded for a while, right? I mean, it is very different. But if I'm on the way to the battlefield, like those boys many years ago in 1945 going to Normandy, you can't be drunk. You have to have your wits about you. You have to rely on lots and lots of preparation. And that's what the Bible says. Becoming a Christian, we saw it last week, being a Christian is not just about making a one-time decision and then coasting. It's not just about vaguely just trying to be a good person whenever it's convenient for you, right? It's also not just about hanging on to the heritage that maybe your mom or dad or parents or grandparents gave you. No, being a Christian is about becoming a new person. Jesus did not die on the cross in order to make nice people doing nice things. He wouldn't have had to die if that's all he was doing. He could have just become a motivational speaker. (laughs) He died on the cross to make new people who do things that previously were impossible for them to do. Did you hear that? Jesus died on the cross to make us new people who live a life that was previously impossible for us to do. Think about what Jesus did. Remember there's a story of a man who was demon possessed and they were chaining him up. He was so violent and out of control that people chained him up in the gospels because they, I mean, he he could not be contained. He was terrifying the whole town and Jesus cast out the demon. He saved him. But then when the man was clothed and in his right mind after he was saved, what did Jesus tell him? Go back to your friends and family and tell them the good news of what God has done for you. Do you see it? God saves us for a purpose. We have to be ready for it. We have to be on high alert. Life is not coasting on a cruise to Cancun. Life is on the way to the battlefield that God has appointed for us. And notice how Peter describes that that way of life. In verses 14, 15, 16, 17... He gives us a full description of how we have to live the kind of life we have to be prepared for. And the greatest way, to, I think, to, to summarize it is you and I are made to be children in God's family who live like God is our Father every day. Now you say, that sounds very simple, kind of maybe even a little bit boring. Well, well look, look at the details and you'll see it's not boring at all. Actually, it's the reason why the entire universe was made. Because God didn't just want his son, capital S, Jesus. He didn't just want one son in his family. He wanted to fill a family with sons and daughters who were all like Jesus. Who walk in God's ways and fill the world with the good news of God's family and God's family business of healing and loving and rescuing people. And that's what you and I have been called to. Notice what what Peter says in verse 14. As obedient children, he says. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, as God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then he says in verse 17, if you call on him as father, if you call God father who judges men, every man by the deeds that he does, then you should conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And these are awesome things that God is calling us to, holiness and fear. Now, right away you say, well, that doesn't sound awesome. Holiness and fear sound scary. I mean, holiness is kind of like cauliflower to most of us. You know, we know it's good for us, but it's kind of nasty. I mean, it's kind of boring, kind of dull. We don't really want to see it on our plate, right? And then fear. I mean, most of us really don't want any kind of fear in our relationship with God. We think that somehow, you know, we're not living the full Christian life if there's any kind of fear. But Peter is saying, as obedient children, y'all are called, we are called to be a church, to be a people who follow our heavenly father in his holiness with a kind of fear that doesn't cause us to run away from God because we're terrified, but a kind of fear that causes us to lean in and to want desperately to hear the sound of our Father's voice. You see, this idea of God's holiness is the idea of what makes God different than anyone else. And the passage is saying that because He's our Father, because He loves us, we ought to, from the bottom of our heart, desire the things that God desires we ought to be a people who, who learn how to, how to listen to God's voice more than we listen to any other voice so that we can know what he desires, so that our hearts also might be stirred to desire those things, so that our lives might be conformed, might be completely remodeled according to God's way of living. Be holy for I am holy. Fear the Lord. I mean, that's what Peter is saying to us. We were made for something adventurous, And if you don't think it's adventurous to follow God around as his children and to be a part of the great family business of God's own family, then I have to say, you probably don't know him. Because there's a tremendous amount of adventure in, in knowing that I'm called to be like Jesus and to carry forward the great mission of the most beautiful person that has ever lived on this earth to my neighbors, to my friends, to my family, to my community, to my city. But instead, you know, what we want to do is we want to say, well, holiness, following God is just, it's compartmentalized to one part of my life. It's what I do on Sunday morning. Maybe it's what I do for an hour a day when I read my Bible or pray. And what Peter says is in all your conduct, be holy. In everything you do, God has something to do with it. And he has something to say about it. And God wants us to be like his children, loving him and wanting to be just like him when we grow up in everything we do. And when it comes to trembling at his word, we want to listen to so many other opinions. We'll see in a minute, the the opinion that we love the most is our own opinion. (laughs) And God is saying, no, I want you to become a people like a child who loves his father. I want you to really seek out the father's will, the father's heart. And when you hear it, I want you to respect it like you respect no other voice. I mean, parents in the room, y'all know, I mean, as parents, I, I, for example, I know there are many ways that I don't want my kids to turn out like me. (laughs) Amen. Do y'all have that? But even though we're imperfect parents and we know we don't want them to turn out like us in some ways, isn't it true that we would be absolutely devastated if our children didn't want to or didn't turn out like us in any way, wouldn't we? If a child looked at us and said, I don't ever want to be like you, Dad. I want to be totally opposite. That would be devastating. And that's true even of us who are imperfect, very flawed parents. How much more God? the heavenly father who's absolutely perfect in his fatherhood, his heart just gushes with a desire to see people who want to grow up one day and be like him. And that's exactly why we need to be prepared. That's the kind of people we need to be. Now, the second thing here is that you and I are naturally very, very unprepared for this way of living. I mean, after all, he says, uh, just by commanding us, prepare your minds, what does he imply? They're not prepared, right? (laughs) Naturally, they're not prepared. That's why you have to tell somebody to get prepared, because they're not. When he says, be sober-minded, what's that imply? Normally, you and I are drunk. (laughs) We're drunk on something, and we're going to see what that is in a minute. Because there he goes on to say in verse 14, do not be conformed. Do not be squeezed into the mold or modeled according to the passions of your former ignorance. And there it is right there. There's a description of why you and I are basically walking around life drunk, not necessarily physically, but we're drunk spiritually. Because instead of knowing God, we're ignorant of God. That's what the text says there, doesn't it? Instead of knowing God and drawing near to our father, we choose to not wanna know him. And what that does is it means we don't want what God wants. Instead, we begin to have our own desires. We want life our way. We want to rely on ourselves. We want to ensure that what we do in life leads to promoting myself rather than promoting him. In other words, we've done that great exchange the Bible calls idolatry. Where we worship something in the place of God. If you're you're not familiar with this, that, that is the deep sin that runs underneath every other sin we commit. You see, sins aren't just outward breaking of outward rules. Sin starts deep. In the roots of our hearts and where that is rooted is this desire to want to replace god instead of saying god you're you're you alone are the father you alone are the judge you you alone are the one worthy of my life and my worship and all of life instead we say you know what i want life my way i did it my way and it was great <laughs> and everything about my life is just about satisfying my needs and satisfying them by my own strength and by my own power. And what Peter says, this looks like a person who's totally unprepared for life and totally drunk, even though we may feel like we have everything together. You can be a person who has everything together in the eyes of people, but yet you're missing out on the one thing God called you to, listening to his voice, walking humbly as someone who is his child, So one writer says that what Peter's describing here is our lives are basically, we've become sleepy and stupid, (laughs) sleepy and stupid. Why? Because instead of, of paying attention to the one who made us, we've tried to put our little puny selves who by no means can control everything, by no means can know everything, by no means can have the kind of love that God has for us. Instead, we put our puny selves that can't compare to God in God's place. And so we're like someone who shows up to work drunk every day, totally unable to do the task that we were hired to do, the task we were made to do, which is to listen to the voice of God. Instead, we're conformed to our own desires. We've overestimated ourselves, as drunk people are often wanting wanting to do, right? We've overestimated our abilities. And at the same time, we deeply, deeply underestimate what God is doing in our lives. Totally unprepared. Now, why why is that tragic? Why is that actually very dangerous? Well, there are times, aren't there? if, If we keep that metaphor of being drunk up, you know, there are times when being drunk is not as bad as others. Do you agree with me? If you're at a party, I mean, it's not good, it's bad, but it's not as dangerous as if you're driving a car, which is not as dangerous as if you were driving a school bus. Right? Which is not as dangerous if you were flying a jet plane full of passengers. I mean, we can recognize degrees of of terribleness for being totally unprepared for our task. Well, this is saying that if we're not paying attention to God, if our minds aren't fully set on being the children of God that God wants us to be, that it's the greatest tragedy this world has ever seen. Because you and I are unable, completely unable to do the two things he made us for as children. We're unable, on the one hand, to ever know his love. If you you are caught up in in, in yourself, in promoting yourself, in relying on yourself, you will never taste how much God loves you. And that's a deep, deep tragedy. It's poison self-reliance because it drives us and keeps us from God. You know, when someone's drowning, the first thing they shouldn't do is try to save themselves, right? Everybody knows that. Instead, you should stop flailing around, which is what's actually making you drown. And if there's someone there to help you, you should wait for them to come to you and help. And when you and I are trying to do it all ourselves and to be self-sufficient and to be self-promoting, we're flailing around drowning all the while God is laying out his hands of love and saying, I'm here to rescue you. That's why it's dangerous. It blocks us from ever really knowing deep down inside just how much God loves me and just to what lengths he has gone. To show me his love. It also keeps us from the second thing, which is for us learning how to love God. See, we can never know how much God loves us when we are self absorbed, but we also can never learn how to ever begin to love him. Because either we're going to treat him like Santa Claus in the sky, you know, God is there to give me whatever I want, God is there to, you know, Jesus is high fiving me on the way to my plans, right? And so many of us, I mean, so many of us treat Jesus that way. But he never came into the world for that reason. Or if we're not treating him like Santa Claus, we're treating God like a slave master, a slave driver who's just cracking the whip. He's got all these rules. And if you step out of line, he's ready to just crush you. And either we're a person who thinks, uh, I've kept all the rules, and so I'm better than everybody else. And of course God has to love me, and so I'm filled with pride. Or I become a person who thinks, man, I could never be good enough. I could never measure up to God's standard. And so we're full of despair and we, we think we have to hide from God. We think we get, can't get too close to him or can't get too close to the church or his people because we're, we're just too unworthy. And in both ways, we block ourselves off, don't we? From really knowing his love for us and learning how to take steps in loving him. It's the greatest tragedy. It'd be like having a Lamborghini and always just having it in your garage, never taking it out and driving it and laying it wide open and letting it roar, right? That's a human being who never knows the love of God. That's a human being who never, ever knows, begins to learn how to return that love to God as their heavenly father. Deep, deep tragedy. But thankfully, Peter has something to say about how the good news of the gospel, how if we go back to it over and over again and begin to learn it more and more in our lives, it actually prepares us for what we're naturally unprepared for. It actually gets us ready to be the children of god that god wants us to be and so look at what peter says there uh, in verse 17 and 18 after he says i want you to be like a child be in holiness i want you to be like a child in fear he says in verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed you were bought at a price from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Peter is taking us to the gospel. He's taking us to the good news. And he's saying you need to know it. He uses that word like knowing. You need to be knowing it constantly, ongoing. You need to know it deeply. You need to learn how to know it fully. You need to know it personally. And and at the bottom part of your heart, it needs to be the very thing that defines you. And that right there begins to take off the the scales that are on my heart of self-reliance. Why? Why? Because the gospel by nature is good news and not good advice. I mean, the word gospel means literally good news, a good announcement. How is that different from good advice? Well, you open the paper any given day and you have lots of articles that are news, right? Then you have a section that's advice. You know, is it Dear Abby? Is that still going on? (laughs) Dear Abby, and she writes back, here's some advice for you. What's the difference between those two kinds of articles? If it's good advice it's leaving you with a list of stuff to do. It's saying, here's what you should do. Here's how you should live your life. And now, now go have fun, good luck, go do it, report back and tell me how it goes. And, so, and isn't it true that many of us think that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming into this world and he's saying, hey, here's some advice. Here's how to be a good person. Here's how to get your life together. Now come report back. If you can get that done and clean your life up, come back and we can have a relationship. Instead, it's a good news article, the gospel, which those articles in the newspaper, they leave us with nothing to do. Instead of saying, go and do, it says, it is done. It is finished. This is just a report of what someone else, somewhere else has done. And in the gospel, we have a report of what God himself has done for us to rescue us. We are not in the position of the rescuer. We are not meeting the rescuer halfway. It's not God helps those who help themselves. The gospel is the straight-up news of how God rescued us when we were flailing and drowning in our own mess. Isn't that right? And Peter tells us what that gospel is all about. It's about, first of all, a ransom. Jesus paid a high price in order to buy us back. And here again, he's, he's referring back to that story at the beginning, that story of the exodus. That same word ransom was used when God took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and he delivered them into the promised land, he ransomed them. They were enslaved to a bad master. Just like you and I were enslaved to our own desires, our own sin and God came in and he paid the price. A lamb was slain and that blood was put over the doorpost of the house so that God's judgment would not fall on that house if they believed. And the same thing now, Jesus died on the cross the blood of the lamb spilled and can now by faith be put over, so to speak, the doorpost of your life. So that your life is marked ransomed. Your life is marked, I am bought. I belong no longer to myself. I belong to God. And praise, praise God for that. Because the ransom is from a futile way of life. Right? That's what he says. A futile way of life. Life my way, let's just face it. I thought it was good. It felt good a lot of times, but at the end of the day, it was futile. It was like riding a stationary bike, you know? I mean, no offense to people who love spin and riding stationary bikes, but you ain't going nowhere, right? You're just staying right there. I mean, it seems a little counterproductive, a lot of energy being put in to going nowhere, right? And it's like, Jesus has taken the stationaries off the bike. Now that he's bought me back, my effort is no longer in vain. The work of my life is no longer in vain. My blood, sweat and tears, I can believe they're no longer wasted, that Jesus now has me going in a direction. He has, he has bought me to belong to him at such a high cost. And not only that, look what it says in verse 20. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We don't have time to get into all the details there, but just, just, this is just a simple thing to think about. God planned the cross long before you and I were born. That just tells you more of the depth of the love of God, doesn't it? It wasn't like God just sort of spur the moment, let's see if this works, boom, see if that works. God from all eternity, past, planned. I love my children. I wanna gather my children to me and so I'm gonna send my greatest treasure. I'm gonna send my capital S son, Jesus. And he's gonna go into the world and he's gonna pay the price to draw my children to myself. It was planned, but also it's perfected in verse 21. It says, through him, you are believers in God, through Jesus. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, praise Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, it's because of Jesus, because God raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, your faith and hope are in God. In other words, not only was it planned that God would do this, but God has taken Jesus from the dead, that price. He's accepted the price. He raised him up. He exalted Jesus to the highest place so that Jesus could now share his glory with us. So that he could give us the gift of trusting in God, the gift of faith. And through that gift, we would come to know God personally as our father and as our children. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's all of God, all of grace. Like we said, there's nothing in here about you've got to do your part and God does his part. There's nothing in here about you've got to meet God halfway. It's you were drowning and God swooped in and rescued you. Now think about how does being rooted in that message change the way you think about God? How could it change the way you think about your entire life? If you knew that the deepest truth about who you are wasn't that you had to be the hero of your life, You don't have to be the hero of your life. I don't either. I can't be, but how often I've spin my wheels like riding a stationary bike, trying to be my own hero. Have you? Have you tried to make it happen? Have you tried to chase that elusive sense of satisfaction in your life that you just can't quite get a hold of? You're just always chasing it around like chasing wind. Have you ever had that feeling? The gospel brings us back to our resting place. I don't have to be the hero because God has been my hero. There are two great truths that every day should dawn on my heart because the gospel is true. And every day I have to to wake up personally and remind myself of these two truths. I want to share them with you. The first is this. Cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. Okay? Cheer up. Everybody cheer up. You're worse than you think. I don't know how bad you thought you were coming in here, but it's worse. Let me tell you, right? God knows it's worse. The Bible says it's worse. We always think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We always think that we can sort of half rescue ourselves and God saying, no, it's worse. Cheer up. You don't have to be the hero. I have to remind myself of that every day. But the second thing is, cheer up. You're far more loved than you ever imagined you could be. The gospel says that you're far more loved than you ever imagined you can be. After all, the ransom price was not money. It was not silver or gold. It was not perishable things. The ransom price was God's own son himself who gave his blood. If you're a parent, just think about it. Who would you give your child in place of? Ain't nobody that I would, right? Nobody. But the love of God's heart is is so full of love. It's like gushing with love for his children that he is willing to spare no expense. And because he spared no expense, I'm accepted, I'm freed, I'm never alone because he's always in me and always living in me. And I now share in the authority of Christ who's been raised to the highest place in the world. I am on his team and he's on mine, right? Not in the sense that he's trying to give me what I want, but in the sense now that I have to be girded up and ready to go for the mission that he has for me. My king has a mission. My king has a direction for my life now that he's saved me. And remembering the gospel, believing deeply, I'm worse than I think, but I'm more loved than I think. It gives me that motivation that I never had before. Instead of saying, you know, I've got to obey God just because God, you know, he's powerful and he's going to send me to hell if I don't. And so I just got to go do it. Instead of that, it's, wow, I get to obey the one who spared no expense to be with me. Who loved me at the high cost of his son. What a joy to get to be with my heavenly father. And not only that, I love what Peter says there about our ignorance of God back in verse 14. He says it's your former ignorance, speaking to Christians. It's former. In other words, you don't have to always be ignorant of God. You don't have to always be distant from God. You can be very close to God. You can know God for real. Like, you can know him in your life and draw near to him and hear his voice and talk back to God in prayer and have him literally answer your prayers and give you peace and give you assurance and satisfaction. All of that Jesus has come to bring. And as I remember that, what does it do? It sears, the, it sears my heart with the flame of his love. It reminds me, okay, he loves me that much. I'm deserving of so much worse than I think. He loves me that much. And so instead of being that slave master, or that Santa Claus that I'm just using really to get what I want. God becomes the father, the dear heavenly father. And yes, he's got work for me to do, much like my earthly dad and your earthly dad has chores for you. But it's joyful to serve the one who gives everything to give me life. It's joyful to serve that one. As a church, greater hope. What kind of church do we have to be if we're gonna really live up to our name and show people there is a greater hope? We cannot be a church that serves God just because, oh, well, we have to do it because God will crush us if we don't. And we can't be a church that serves God because, hey, he's my my sugar daddy. He's my Santa Claus who gives me everything I want. We can't be that kind of church. We have to be, by his grace, the kind of church that says, you know what, this is just a family being gathered of God's dear children who just want nothing more because God has loved them. They want nothing more than to be like their father when they grow up. And it's exciting. It's full of holiness and happiness. It's full of fear, but also just deep security and deep confidence. Do you want that to be the kind of church we are? Do you see how that could shine out like a light? Almost like nothing else in the world. Do you see it? I I think I can see it. (laughs) And every day I pray for it. And I I would invite you to join me in praying for that too. Would you pray with me right now? Let's ask God. Uh, to be our heavenly father and to show us the depths of his love every day. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your your gospel grace. This passage that we read and talked about this morning, just so more here than we could possibly say. But we thank you, God, that we don't have to be ignorant of you anymore. We don't have to be strangers, aliens. We don't have to be orphans, slaves. We don't have to be users of you, but we can become dear children of the Father like we were made to be. All of life is about that. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us every day the gospel, the good news. God has ransomed me. He has bought me at a price. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And therefore, there's nothing I can do to lose it. There's nothing I can do to ever, to ever be let go of the Father if I'm truly in his grasp. So, Father, just fill us deeply with the security that comes from that. We're worse than anyone thinks than we think. Oh, but we're loved. Lord, sear our hearts with the flame of your love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.